0: Hi, I'm Ira Fussfeld, and coming up this week on The Media Project, we'll be talking about the Supreme Court hearing and how it's being covered. We'll look at the war in Ukraine and how it's being covered. And we'll talk about language. Is the bad language no longer so bad? That's all coming up on The Media Project. Josemar Romeo, Alan Shartok, Ian Pickett, and I will be around to handle it. It's The Media Project, coming up next. Oh, meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption. they wallow in corruption, crime... And well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Media Project, an interesting one today as It always is. There's never any question about them being interesting. But with Rex Smith stuck in a traffic jam somewhere in the greater capital district metroplex, I'm going to fill in, and I would be Ira Fussfeld, retired publisher of the Daily Freeman of Kingston, New York. This is The Media Project. Rosemary Armeo is here, investigative reporter, pr- professor at the State University of New York. Hello, Rosemary. Hello. hello. Nice to be here. Thank Alan Startok is here, the CEO, the uh, CEO <laughs> of Northeast Public Radio. Professor Emeritus at the State University, publisher of the Legislative Gazette. Do we have any more time? Or used up
1: I, more time? I was the publisher of the Fire Island uh, oh, Sun. I about that.
0: How many Pulitzers did you win down there? Uh, I, so many, I can't count yeah. them all. The, the company vehicle in, the, in those days was the little red wagon that you used to <laughs> pull. That that's at. right. That's right. And Ian Pickus has stepped in and is in right out of the bullpen. Is it a lefty or a righty? Wally well, Pip. Well, Wally Pip, that's right. We, never, we may never see Rex again, but for those who don't know him, I don't know how you can not know, but Ian Pickus is the news director here at Northeast Public Radio and a great sport and like sports. So that's good for me. Let's talk about the big stories of the week. Again, Ukraine and the hearings with the Supreme Court nominee, Jackson. Is there a media angle that we should be looking at for starting with the Supreme Court?
2: I would say um, for the media, how do you play? How do you pick the big story when you have that going on? And everything else must, must get drowned. There are those two stories. COVID, remember COVID, remember uh, it's you know, disappeared. inflation? Yeah, we don't hear much about so that. So what are
1: you saying in terms of the preeminence of a story? So you need a story to lead with, right? And if you have Ukraine, I think it comes first. I suspect in what I've been listening to and watching, it comes first. And then, of course, disease is always interesting because anybody can get it and becomes very important
0: is there a time as important as the ukraine story is obviously because we're talking about the potential of nuclear war is there a time when too much coverage is given that and there are other things that are being lesser covered that should be covered you mentioned COVID. COVID, climate change
2: comes to mind as well that's already been buried for the past month that the war has been going on but now you have a historically important really dramatic hearing in the senate And staffing and covering all that is difficult.
0: Ian, the WAMC carried NPR coverage wall-to-wall for the first three days of the hearing, did not cover the fourth day. What's the thinking behind scheduling and wiping off everything else that's on the station's docket?
3: You know, Alan and I had a discussion about this, and uh, he said, look, it's the right thing to do. It might not be what we want to do. It's the fourth time in five years that we've had to suspend all of other programming to carry these hearings live but let's face it it's an important time in american history people want to hear what's going on i think the tenor of this particular hearing was very telling if you just strip away everything else and you listen to the questions from the senators and the answers from the nominee you learn something now from my perspective what we were trying to do was carry these hearings, which went often over 12 hours, and fit in some of the local and regional news that we make. And during the week on Wednesday, We had one of these moments that we started the show talking about, where the hearings are ongoing. uh, Everything else in the news is, of course, still continuing. And during it, we get word that former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright has died at age 84. Normally, that would vaunt to the very top of our next news show. But yesterday, we had to sneak it in while the senators were on a break just to get it in. So it is a balancing act. But I think in the long run, you look back uh, a year from now, and we'll be glad that we carried these hearings. It may be one of the last times that we hear this particular future Supreme Court justice answer questions for a lifetime appointment.
0: And yet the cable networks, the three major cable networks did not go wall-to-wall this year. They dropped in and out. Sometimes it was actually sort of ridiculous, in my view, where they would run a split screen of the questioners and and the justice being in the background, couldn't hear what they were talking about, and then they had their own commentators analyzing, the almost like they didn't know how to deal with it. But let me try something from a different angle. To what Extent does the media, particularly the broadcast media, fall into a trap here by playing this wall to wall and thus giving the grandstanders, in this case on the Republican side, free reign to say what they're going to say whatever they want, but they're giving them all of this free airtime, not unlike when Trump was running and he was getting all this free airtime. You know that what was recorded from this hearing, Cruz is going to use in his presidential campaign.
1: And already is, Ira. I mean, that's the whole point. Paul Lee and Cruz are doing everything in their power to maximize their availability to the American people.
0: So does that give you reason for pause when you've decided to broadcast or no. televise it? No, you know,
1: this, I'm going to tell you something that's very interesting as the president and CEO of WAMC. The one thing that I can pretty well judge how things are going by are what the emails are like. And I didn't get, I believe, a single email that said, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be carrying this. In fact, there was praise as opposed to anything else. Now, we have a somewhat tenuous relationship with NPR. We are a major station, the major station's own NPR. Uh, Nevertheless, I find some things that NPR does objectionable. So one of the senators is in the middle of a major question or there's a major answer coming from Justice Jackson And um, I hear some dumb observation coming from the NPR people just to let us know that they're there. Now that we get mail on.
0: Well, what do you mean just to – in other words, don't they have to break in when a new voice pops up that they have to identify that person? Sometimes, and sometimes there's a an
1: ongoing voice, and they just remind us who it is so they can get their voices on the radio. Sort and, of like
2: uh, the senators <laughs> <Yeah>. who <We> just <laughs> pop in and want to, want to talk. I think that politicians have got very astute about – figuring out media practices and taking advantage of them. And there's Mm -hmm. no question that the awful Ted Cruz, Josh Hollies of the Senate, Lindsey Graham, Marsha Blackburn, have I named all of the ship of fools that are running things. (laughs) They've all (laughs) taken advantage of this, as you say, very high profile hearing to get in the mix. They've got big productions. Ted Cruz has posters he's holding up. They are using the media. So the choice of the media is to cut them off and not cover it, which they eventually did with Trump or to give also voice to this amazingly brilliant woman who is sitting there with all these mansplaining, racist people in her face, handling it with judicial aplomb, something we did not see with Brett Kavanaugh or with Amy Cohn and Barrett. And the contrast is also very educational, and that is thanks to the media that we're seeing it. And how much the media
1: picks up on all of that, Rosemary, it was profound, what you just said. How much the media picks up on all of that is interesting to me. Look, let's face it, and this is something I get a certain amount of umbrage from people on, the media is not the media, as we have said. Yeah, one solid block. It's Fox and NPR and WAMC. And so there's a whole bunch of different approaches to this. And I think it's important that we watch what these various groups have to say and whether they have a slant on things.
3: And one more note from the hearings an LA Times photographer using a powerful zoom lens was able to see that during questioning, Ted Cruz was using his phone to look up Ted Cruz on Twitter to see Aww. how he was trending. Right. So, right.
0: right after his see confrontation, that. he wanted to see what the reaction
3: was on Twitter. So, there's a certain level of access to being there and being in the room.
2: That's I think disgusting. Cory Booker also got some good campaign yeah. footage yesterday. He did. Yeah, Tell us all about that. Well, Cory Booker is a Democrat, he is a black man. And he praised Katanya Jackson and talked about all the things that I just mentioned. And he cried. I, I believe
3: he she,
0: cried and she, she cried. She got all tears, yeah. yeah, She too cried at that the, as opposed to Kavanaugh, who, who cried yeah. about missing his beard. Yeah, I'm the, the, sure
2: the contrast between her and Kavanaugh yeah. is extremely striking. But she's taken some of her cues from Amy Coney and Barrett, which is interesting, too, saying, well, no, I can't comment on that because it might come before the court. And Roe v. Wade, that's what they're really probing about. its I, I love these hearings, and I think that students and anybody interested in American history get something out of hearing them, even though, yes, I am well aware that they are being used as a stage by
0: Well, that's interesting you, you mentioned that. There was a point in the hearings when the discussion seared back to one of these age-old things that I think the four of us would be in favor of, or at least were in favor of, and that is whether or not there should be cameras in the Supreme Court. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Senator Sass, Republican, a bit more moderate, but a more of a traditional Republican, I think it's fair to say, he said he does not think there should be cameras in courts because, and I'm paraphrasing him now, but the kind of jackassery that, <laughs> that we saw among some of the other senators mugging and playing to the cameras, that kind of thing would happen in the Supreme Court. I was almost motivated to change a decades-long view that we should not have cameras in the court. But what do you think? Are you inclined to, to believe that the cameras would indeed lessen or make less gravitas in the Supreme Court?
1: No, I think, in fact, it's terribly important that we have cameras. I've always thought that because the American people deserve to know what's going on. And the idea that judges and others don't want cameras in the courtroom, not all judges, but some, gives me pause because I think they're not really interested in having us know how it all works.
0: Yeah, I seem to recall going way back when I was still writing editorials and writing in favor of cameras in courts that the lawyers were the ones who opposed it. They didn't want to see histrionics and that they were afraid that it would change the feeling in the room if there were cameras in there. And, of course, New York now largely does allow cameras in courts, and the Supreme Court is the outlier.
2: I'd like to take the cameras out of Congress and put them in the <laughs> Supreme Court. Uh, Jack Assery in secret is a lot more serious a problem in America than Jack Assery in front of cameras, where it can be called out and viewed. There's no such person as Jack Assery, is there? <laughs> <You're
1: using
0: it. laughs> I use I think hamburgers about it, folks. all the time, although well, it's Jack in the box.
3: Yeah.
1: yeah. A long time ago, when I was a professor at New Paltz, and I do mean a long time ago, there was a judge, a local judge, and I'd bring my class. To see the courts And this guy misbehaved so badly So awfully That, you know, if there was a camera there I think people really would have been upset
0: well, I was at New Paltz longer ago than you were, so that makes both of us very old. So I don't old. think it's possible. There was
1: just Paltz. I, was okay.
0: I wasn't even new at that point. I'm very old. I've yeah. always called it Paltz.
2: Don't you feel young being on this program? You
0: know? <laughs> it's good for the ego. Especially when Alan and I are in the room. By the way, Rosemary made reference, or Alan, to the media and that there is no one media. But I would, uh, if you'd like a homework assignment, check out the current episode, episode 7 of Jon Stewart's program on Apple TV. And this episode is a about the media and he has a panel and it's a very interesting panel, but the one thing that came away from it was he's referring to the media as if it's all of us when he was particularly critical, almost solely critical of the cable networks. networks, But go to Apple TV Plus while you're there, watch Fraggle Rock, Back to the Rock, (laughs) executive produced by the famous Matt Fussfeld, but that's a different There's the journalistic (laughs) disclosure. (laughs) That's that's what they call a plug. Well, Let's talk about the war in Ukraine. I guess we've talked on this program, maybe we haven't, about what I think is the incredible and hard for me to fathom bravery of the people who were there covering this war. I defer to Rosemary's expertise. You know, you've yeah. never been in a war zone. But I you always know go what it's post-war, like. no. yeah,
2: because I'm in journalism development, and you can't teach journalists how to do their job better when they're in combat. And in fact, that is the situation now in, in Ukraine. So I'll talk about them first. I think the um, Ukrainian journalist, the Kiev Independent, comes to mind are amazing they are out there with their lives and their families and their futures at stake and they are reporting their butts off and the coverage is amazing there's stories every day i support it's one of the places i give money to the kiev independent and i'm getting my money's worth it's amazing how much do you give? i do thirty dollars a month they take anything. That's though. a they lot really, of money. Well, they're worth it. I mean, they're risking their lives and they're doing you important stories. You have more stories. money than I thought you did. No, <laughs> I don't get to very many places. The journalists in Russia, the state-controlled and very restricted journalists also get kudos from me. They are risking their lives to protest the coverage. The head of Gazeta no- Noveta, is that how you say it? Is that right, Anne? So. I'm saying it wrong. But the editor of that paper shared a Nobel Peace Prize this year for his efforts to run an independent press. And they are now facing horrible laws put in by Putin that will send them to jail for reporting what's happening in Ukraine. He has donated. What he said he's going to do is take his Nobel award. There's a, a plaque, I guess, and he's auctioning it off to put money into the effort for independent coverage of Ukraine. It'd be amazing there. to find out how much he gets, how many. It, how it's, a, people are. It's, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a good way to raise money for supporting them, and then the AP also gets lots of credit. The U.S. based, the AP, they had a team, a videographer and a writer in Mariupol who stayed till the very end. They were the last two journalists in that city, and it always makes me wonder what drives war reporters. I could not do that myself. And why do they do it? They face death. They face death. And sometimes they die. Marie Colvin, Mm -hmm. a famous Long Island reporter and war correspondent, was killed in Syria. And she could have gotten out. She, in fact, did get out in the days when there was bombing in homes. She got out and she went back in because she said, I'm there to tell the story of the people who can't get out. And that's what they're doing. It's extremely noble and important. And I, for people who are inclined to believe Mr. Trump, that the press is the enemy of the people, watch what's happening right now.
0: And yet, as we speak, five journalists have been killed in yes. Ukraine, the fifth being a correspondent with a Russian news agency who was killed while reporting on shelling in Kyiv. You know what? I watch a lot of NBC, and Richard Engel has been their war correspondent forever. And I just you know, sit there marveling but wondering. You're standing on whatever their location is at a building, mm-hmm. uh, presumably their hotel in mm-hmm. Kyiv. And then at some point he's got to get some sleep. And how do how do you put your head on the pillow and expect to get any sleep when you never you don't know if this will be the last time before they start bombing the hotel? And I mean they, uh, the Russians no doubt know where the world's journalists are staying. I presume it's whatever the equivalent of a Ritz Carlton. And
2: different now from any war. Well, maybe not Iraq, but different from most wars in history. Journalists are targeted now. They used to yes. put TV or press on yeah, their wear on press. their clothing and their cars to protect them. That's now become a bullseye and that's because Putin is very aware of the impact of information in this war. Part of his battle is is to make sure that his story gets out and no one else's. So yeah, it's especially brave to be doing that.
1: Good point, Rosemary, because he certainly
2: made that clear in Russia. Yeah. You know, you defy him and you're going to be end up in jail. Navalny, who runs a newspaper in addition to his other opposition activities, just got a new sentence and yeah. another new decade of hard labor.
0: This is the Media Project. Ira Fussfeld, Rosemary Romeo, Alan Shartuck, and Ian Pickus with you. Hope you're hanging in there with us.
1: And while you're on the subject, Ira, I want to tell you how many people have been writing to me about how they love the Media Project. I mean, it's been a constant drumbeat, and we're very proud to have the program.
0: Well, Ian's a relative newbie to the Media Project, but the three of us have been on this thing for quite some time, and we're going to get it right.
3: <laughs> one week at a time. <laughs> well, one of
0: us will. <laughs> hey, I saw something that you guys are not prepared to talk about, but I know you'll do a good job. Reporters in the Capitol, meaning in Albany, were hanging out during this week where they're trying to finalize the state budget and also where the hot topic is bail reform legislation. Mm -hmm. And the governor, Hochul, had apparently advanced a plan, but the plan had not been made public yet. And the reporters were hanging out in the Capitol. I don't know, if Ian, if you had one of your folks there. And the lieutenant governor was emerging from some room, and the reporters were tracking him down, trying to get him to comment on the bail reform specifically. And he wouldn't answer. He just wouldn't talk. This is the lieutenant governor. He finally got onto an elevator, and the elevator doors closed. The last words we heard was a reporter chastising him by saying, don't you believe it's a public figure? You're supposed to be answering our questions. This is something I guess we all experience with politicians up and down the line, but do these reporters who, by the way, I thought sadly because it hurt them a little bit after the elevator doors closed. They laughed. And they laughed as if, wow, well, we had a good time with this guy. What do you ah. think of this in general? Us versus
1: them. You know, in other words, the reporters versus the politicians. Yeah,
0: yeah, but it came across as they thought it was funny that they were badgering this guy, and it wasn't funny. They should have been badgering him, but I thought they hurt their own cause a little bit, but that's what I think. What do you think? To what extent does the lieutenant governor have a necessity to answer these people's questions?
1: Well, a lot of people don't answer questions. You see presidents go by and wave at them and maybe give them a two-word answer. So I don't know that it's written in the Constitution and the First Amendment that uh, politicians have to.
3: But when they don't, they look very bad. In this particular case, two things have happened. One is this new administration came in in August and promised to be more transparent, to prize ethics, to be communicative with reporters. We know in the Cuomo years before COVID and then after to a degree when he was in trouble, Governor Cuomo would go sometimes months without speaking with the Albany Press Corps. Now, in this particular case... Governor Hochul and Lieutenant Governor Benjamin have said, we're not going to negotiate aspects of the budget through the press. While they were saying that, a 10-point plan about bail reform was leaked, who knows how, and an op-ed appeared in the New York Daily News where they outlined their... Ideas for changing the bail reform laws Which are opposed by the state legislative leaders Lieutenant Governor Benjamin walks through the hallway Won't answer questions, won't say why he won't answer Questions, and then later in the day After the Senate session Answers questions, apologizes for blowing Off the reporters mm-hmm. earlier, so In the long run, it didn't do him much good, it just Made him look silly for a few hours uh, You
2: know, I fault the reporters for laughing, though This is not a funny thing, it's a super serious And we are going backward in this country Alan, you're right, they used to look Bad if the least Stefanik did talk or the lieutenant governor blows off a bunch of reporters. They used to look bad and the public rightly said, hey, why aren't you talking to the press? There are our representatives. We don't say that anymore. Now we take the same attitude that I found when I first went to Eastern Europe trying to inculcate American ideas, which is who are you that I should speak to you? No. Just send me some written questions and I might answer them if <laughs> I want. And we're going to that now. This is not funny at all. So I fault the reporters for not seeing that.
1: You know, we here, at Ian knows it and I know it. People write us and they say I think I heard the speaker Use the BS word (laughs) And he did He did The Speaker of the State he Assembly. Says, yeah, Carl Hasey said, that's BS. But he didn't say BS. You know, he spelled it out. He fleshed it out.
3: God, we're so,
2: the media is so resistant to profanity. You know, kindergartners
0: say that word now. What?
3: But they don't get fined by the FCC 29 times. I know.
2: I, well, it's <laughs> the FCC I'm faulting. Okay. I, I mean, a, really, it's ridiculous.
0: You're actually seeing these words in the New York Times now, which was here to for never yeah, would have happened. Yeah.
3: Well, let me tell you about the conversation I had with my associate news director yesterday when this happened. Could we justify airing that soundbite? Definitely. Yes. Is it worth the risk, you know, and the heartache to air it? It's probably easier to bleep it, which is what we do. So now we
1: know that if you get caught by the FCC, theoretically, you could lose hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines.
3: Theoretically. I have not seen it lately. Have you, Ian? I haven't and in this case it was a newsworthy person speaking yeah. in a news yeah, setting. And I think you're So you're you're in the risk. Right.
0: Now what happens if you were carrying that live? Did they going are they gonna insist that you should have it on
3: delay? That happened to us when President Trump came out to decry one of the investigations into him i can't remember which one and he <laughs> said so many. at the top of the day right after the midday tones you know frankly this was bs and we aired it live and it was what it was
2: well you know the flip side of
3: this is you can beep it you can use bs
2: or the n-word and everybody knows so is it really necessary it's like become almost this code
1: Well, except that language counts, and certain words uh, carry with it a certain importance that people can relate to. And I think the idea that if a public figure is saying it, you're not allowed to carry it is ridiculous.
0: But but forever, newspapers, pushing the broadcast aside for a second, newspapers would... Flat out, not print these words, and they would humorously insert the word bleep, or they'd put dashes in there. It's apparently, not apparently, it is slowly changing. So I take it from what you said. Go ahead. To the extent
1: that, would, to the extent yeah. that we often read now,
0: uh, use the
1: F word. Now, everybody knows yeah. what the F word is right
2: yeah the F word the S word I mean it's like Wired magazine years ago did a story about this about how backward the media looked especially to younger viewers and readers because they use these terms they have lost their powerful meaning as bad oh. language now my personal philosophy in editing is I take them out when they're used casually I had a story the other day in which someone was can I say I, can, I don't know if I can say the word but witching only not really witching and i changed it to complaining. Easy enough. You but mean some, pitching. Right. Yeah, oh, that, you can say yeah, it. Well, that, was
0: that, one, great. That, one, that one seems almost mild by comparison.
2: <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. It didn't used to be. We right. couldn't put no, that, that right. in. No, that's right.
1: But I think it's okay these days.
2: Language changes. Yes. Language matters, but it's changing. And profanity does not have the power it once did. And the fact of the matter is that all of our public officials use bad language, as do their mothers and their children. And
1: sometimes, on purpose, <laughs> in comes, there's, there's a president of the United States, and in comes somebody and says, there's that SOP, but uses, uses the See, words, he
0: knows he's on a live mic. So if you're the editor of a of a newspaper that's still deciding to play by the old rules, which is not to use these words, are you doing your readers a disservice?
1: Well, it depends how big a newspaper you have.
2: I think any outlet. I think you're treating your your reader viewers as children who have to be protected from it. They hear that word every day in their own life, I wager. So why can't they see it or hear it on their media?
0: Well, that's the question. I mean, I don't know that it makes any difference what size the paper is unless you want to say if The New York Times is doing it, then everybody else should feel free well, to do it. Ira, what I meant by that
1: was that some newspapers have a lot more money than others
0: well, pay off. Right? They, you know, and, know, newspapers, pay newspapers won't get fined for using it, but they could lose readers for using it.
1: And, of course, the newspapers don't have what we have here at WMC. They don't have an FCC, yeah. which rides hurt on you and can punish you uh, for doing it.
2: Well, then there's a whole debate about why is radio news monitored, regulated, and that that's put on paper is not. Exactly. There's a, there's a disparity there that makes no sense to me. and Or to me, it's just wrong. It has to do with who's listening. So the idea is that children could listen to this, that children can watch TV, so we regulate What's shown and when children program begin commercials and all of that, and we don't do that in newspapers. And yeah, many newspapers are run as if I don't want to read that over the breakfast table. Editing for taste is this art, and it changes over time. Yeah, so, at what old.
1: age do you have grandchildren, right? And yeah. what, what age? What age did they learn to read? Four and five.
0: Well, so yeah, my, my grandson, my younger grandson, is four, and he reads very well. Yeah. So you see, yeah, yeah. we see what. Well, you see.
2: And they it. have heard bad words. They yeah, have heard oh, their parents well, say the.
1: We're We're, theoretically, no, I, what I mean by that, Ira, is that theoretically, you—you know—a four-year-old c- could actually read the words.
0: Yeah, well, that's true. And I, but I don't know about you guys, but I learned the facts of life in the playground at PS 106. <laughs> they, they didn't learn it from my father or mother. So kids know these words; they pick them up. And the parents, who say, as I've heard many times, "How could you do this?" while well, their newspapers on the breakfast table. Yeah, they—they're way
3: ahead of us. I—I
2: I, I hate that whole idea. Did you ever edit or write for a four-year-old? I didn't do children's book. That no, that was Ted not Cruz my does career. Children's book. Yeah, we yeah. would have a good exactly. problem
3: on our yeah. hands if four and five year olds were at the breakfast table eating and reading newspapers every morning. We'll <laughs> I... take it. Yeah, that's true. That's well, true. I just sort of feel like these things are generational,
0: and and the next generation using four letter words in the newspaper if there's a newspaper around, the next generation or on the air. Will be just a shrug of the shoulders, but I'm wondering what the next thing is going to be. Mm-hmm. It could be more rampant use of nudity, of sexual gory, acts, uh, gory, gory photos from right.
2: war. We never would have bodies.
1: tolerated this on the Fire Island Sun. No,
0: but but would you have run <laughs> a <laughs> picture? Would you have run a picture of a dead body on the on the front page? That's okay. you, I'm glad you reminded me. You get a lot of criticism when you run gory accident pictures yeah. in the newspaper, and
2: and there is some truth in uh, Northern Africa. They found that that the newspapers there ran very gory. Photos shredded babies and gutted teenagers every day. And they found that women especially stopped buying the newspapers. They just didn't want to see that. You desensitize your audience.
0: Well, I think the moral of today's program is keep buying newspapers <laughs> Watch cable news, but under your own caution. And listen to WAMC, which has a lot of news value and covers important events live.
2: That sounds like another plug.
0: And one more is I hope that you'll listen again next week to The Media Project. My name is Ira Fussfeld. Rosemary Romeo has been here. Ian Pickus has been here. Alan Shartuck has been here. Good job, Ira. Thank you. That's this week's Media Project. Tune in again next week. Let's give three cheers freedom of the press.